Hello, Winternet. This is ESC Insight Calling. I'm Ewan Spence. I am Ben Robertson. And this is a chat over the running order. It's literally fresh off the digital presses. We know where everybody is singing in the two semi-finals of Eurovision 2023. It's delightful time when we try and decide who's going to win the contest because they're running after somebody else. Is this just us trying to find content or is there some truth that running order matters? Hello, Ben. There is something in this. The size of that something is quite small, though, I would say. Um, Running order is important, but, you know, saying that you are going to win or lose based on running order, no, that's not true. Based on that, oh, you're going to qualify not based on running order, no. If you have a very close contest, you may see possibly one or two of the qualifiers possibly be squeaked into close positions based on running order, but, you know, Generally, the running order has you know, far more important things than do you open the show, do you end the show? It's the flow, it's the narrative. And I'd argue, now in a producer-led era, that's what we see far more than we did you know, a generation ago in Eurovision terms where you just saw all the songs in a free-for-all. Indeed. Um, certainly when we had everything was drawn at random, um, and you just had to hope you didn't get four massive props all locked together, then, yeah, the, the running order could certainly have a larger impact, a larger small impact than the impact it has just now. Now, okay, Ben, it's a pop quiz. Um, I know, I think I know you know you know the answer, but if you don't know and I don't know the answer, then certainly our new listeners might not know, but there is one point where the running order is absolutely concrete and important. That is if the total number of points is equal at the end of the show yep. and the number of points between the jury and the televote are also equal. Yep. And you have equal going 12 and 10 and eight, seven, six, five, four, three. If there is an absolute mathematical tie break, it's the running order. It's whoever goes earlier or isn't the host country. Yes. Interesting question. Does that count for Ukraine as well? And does that mean if Ukraine and the United Kingdom are in the ultimate tiebreaker, do we need another tiebreaker rule? I think I found my question for the press conference. Enjoy that one, yes. <laughs> if this and this and this is... Right, okay. Uh, we have the running order set by the producers at the BBC. It will have been signed off at the EBU as well. And uh, look, there are some myths about the running order. Uh, let's start with some obvious ones, Ben. Uh, Nobody qualifies from second. Running second is an absolute death. Running second isn't a very good slot at all. Um, it's seen in semifinals. If you look at the stats from semifinals when, when they began in 2004 onwards, number two is okay. It's not great, but it's okay. But if you look in this producer-based era for running orders, you are seeing very few of those number two slots qualifying. And if you look at the televoting only results, which is what we need to look at now, because in this year's semifinals, we only have televoting. Uh, you're looking at less than 10% in the last what, six years. Uh, so number two does scream out statistically as being a bad slot. But, you know, in a producer-based era, 
producers are not putting the favourites to qualify in slot two. There is that natural bias that is kicking in there anyway, rightly or wrongly. Going last is perfect. Going last is great. Um, the especially this, no this idea that people some people discussed when the UK drew last in the grand final that oh being last is a weakness because it's too late. You, first and foremost, I don't believe that. Secondly, in a 15, 16 song semi-final, that doesn't exist either. Um, but to be honest, you've already drawn second half. So the goal of a semi-final isn't to win it. Yeah, you can win it. Fantastic. The goal of the semi-final is to qualify. If you're second half, that's going to be a big enough advantage as it is anyway. If you're needing to be drawn last to actually get that qualification spot, then you know, you're struggling to qualify at the best of times. Point the third. Where you sing is less important than who you're singing next to. The, both That's true. actually a debatable point there, but it's just why yeah, we've come both, to both that one now. Yeah. Um, yes, if, if, you, if you look at the pure mathematics of if you're later in the show, does that give you better advantage? Yes, it does. But the size of that advantage is very small. Like your absolute position is not so important. What you do see of produced lead running orders is you get a general sawtooth effect. You try and contrast a up-tempo female number with one of the many bands that are coming on in this year's Eurovision Song Contest. You are constantly chopping and changing both what acts look like visually and the song styles they're presenting. That makes comparison harder, but where comparison is available... It is really important. I've been doing some statistics on this anyway, and I've been comparing semi-final jury scores, people who the same people who have to rank from the jury performance to the grand final performance. And I think the one in recent years that had the biggest drop from semi-final to grand final was Albania in 2015 with I'm Alive. And one of the reasons I believe that's an outlier that's really bad in the grand final is that it was sandwiched between the two greatest vocalists in that grand final of Il Volo and Polina Gagarina. And you know, that is, for me, that's a very clear example of a comparative effect dragging your score down. Now, that yeah. was juries, of course, but you know, it ultimately juries and televoters are still humans and i suppose the other thing we have to remember is we don't have all the jigsaw pieces here this running order is not just about when people are going to go on stage it's moving the props around backstage it's making sure that somebody who wants blue lights isn't following another act who wants blue lights who wants blue lights there's a lot of juggling going on here from a production side of things from the storytelling side of things that to look at this and just go, oh, this organization has not done well or has done this organization the bad because reasons, it's not. This is actually a very big interlocking jigsaw, and we can only see two of the four edges of each jigsaw piece at the moment. Indeed, yes. I mean, one speculation that I know we've done and I know lots of other people have done is about the favourite this year's Eurovision Song Contest is Sweden, because it's well known that Sweden has a very heavy, very time-consuming prop, or at least they would like to have that. We don't know the ins and outs of that right now, 
This um, is Lorraine's tattoo and the two display, two LED displays, one above and one below her as she's performing. The sandwich, yes. Yeah. Corby tries to press. Um, now, the issue with that Melody Festival is that that took a few minutes set up. It has been drawn 11th out of 15 in the semi-final. And the speculation within the community is, ah, there must be an advert break around that point just to give the extra minute or two of breathing space to make whatever they end up doing possible. And, and that, if I look at the running order with yeah, detail that there... Because you can't have 10, then 5. That just feels wrong around the commercial break. So I think I can see where you're going. Well, I, I'm actually... Well, yes. I mean, there, I'm expecting there will be an advert break after five songs as well. So I'm looking at... In both of these, I'm looking at the way they've set it up as being break after five, break after 10. But another reason to evidence for that would be if I look at what's 12 after Sweden, which is Azerbaijan's number, which based on what we've seen with the video, based on the style of song, I'm expecting that to be quite a standard setup. I'm not expecting big giant props to be coming out of Azerbaijan this year. No, that, that's, that's, that's the twins, two guitars, maybe some 90s inspired hats. And that's all you need. That's that's all you need. And right, we should point out here, we do not know when the commercial breaks are going to be. But if we go on the assumption that we're having three blocks instead of two, that means semi-final one's first block ends on Portugal, which is an ending. Um, and then we come back with Ireland, uh, Wild Youths, We Are One, uh, right through to Moldova's Pasha Parafeni. And we've seen this arrangement at Junior Eurovision as well, where they've clumped the songs into mini-shows. Absolutely. Like, um, Ireland was the one that you know, was discussed as a possible opener along with Norway. And for, and both of them in different ways have a rousing anthemic feel to them, which is typical of Eurovision opening numbers. Um, so I need to have two songs from the first half to open, and I've chosen both of them. Um, it was discussed similarly that Belgium would be a possible show opener. But actually, I find Because of You is a little bit too joyous for that purpose. Um, and actually, it's been placed at the end of what I would call Act 1. Um, assuming my theory on the advert base is correct, I am expecting five songs that come through and you have Estonia as the penultimate one, as the classy ballad of the five set piece there. And then you go into the big joyful number, get the crowd excited, have a lovely shot then of your host with their backs to the audience. Oh, it's very happy. Do your piece to camera, get ready for act two. Which we then start off with Cyprus and finish. Oh, it's, it's 16 in there. So you got to think though, Slovenian joker out there feel like a, sort of finisher there in that second, that middle block in the second semi-final. That's the expectation they have. We will have to wait until um, the first run through on the 8th of May to, and 8th and 10th of May to find out if that theory is correct. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably worth noting as well that, you know, the openers, um, Cyprus, uh, Ireland, and then of course, actually the actual openers, let's say, um, with... Norway and with Denmark, there's also a familiarity to them. They kind of 
right, this is an expectation of a pop number, of a Eurovision number, and it gets people in the mood. It gets people ready to compare, right? That's something I know that works. I know that formula. And then we can rank the rest of them against it, basically. And if we look at the other end, if we look at the closers of the semi-finals, sort of these are the songs that we we know that you'll know about, but we're going to put them in the end because we want to keep you watching as long as possible. Semi-final one closes with Finland. Semi-final two closes with Australia. And again, both of those are songs that are going to be well-known in the fandom. Semi-finals, it's much more community in terms of audience percentage than a Saturday night show. They're both almost traditional closers as well. They are going to end on ultimate crescendos. And that's the thing that makes them great closers in terms of the narrative of making entertainment television. Um, I mean, no, I can think of examples where you've had shows end on an off-kilter ending and also work. Um, there was an Australian selection a few years ago that had uh, the little piano ballad by Didri, Raw Stuff. I loved that as an ending. I thought that was a magical, poignant way of ending a show. But at the same time, you know, you need to have a song that can captivate an audience like that to pull off that. Um, running Eurovision semifinals, producing a show not just for yourself, but for a continent, um, it's easier to stick to the classics in that sense. And Finland will guarantee a highlight ending. Um, Australia, I think because it's particular, the show is in Liverpool. Um, you are, it's you may get almost a, you know, like a, a, another home country feel to the Australian act that Australia has not had at the Eurovision Song Contest in any other context. So that would be a little bit of extra boost as well. And it's also a piece of music that's, that's not, I'm going to use the word wacky um, as a sort of, it's, it's comfy. It's a known quantity. You can look at that and just go, Oh, I know what this is. You can't actually really do that with Finland. I think it has to be said, um, but you can with Australia. You're closing out the semifinals there with um I mean, it's almost going the fire of flamrit that you had with Denmark closing a couple of years back as well. Yes. Um, but then, of course, as well, there is, you know, the speculation that the community does from this is, you know, I don't think the speculation, I hope not anymore, that, oh, these are being favoured or this is being not favoured, but the speculation about, oh, if this song is placed here, does that mean they have something? Does that mean they're bringing something else to the table? And, you know, Finland, I think, us in the community, we know what we are expecting because their national fan performance worked very, very well. They should not, and they will not change very much of that. I think they might add some pyro. Um, Finland, Australia, pyro, Eurovision, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, Australia, yes, we know because they're a band and so forth, but it's like, is there something else up the sleeve? Or is there other things in the running order that, oh, wait, why is that being given a space there? Is there something? And this is where we overthink things that are going on. We're looking to see patterns or we're looking to see, you know, dead space or thing. You know, what, what I looked at before was 
Serbia into Latvia into Portugal as a, you know, quite an odd, partly jazzy, but also partly moody set of three songs in a certain way. And I'm thinking, because obviously when they've submitted the songs to the head delegation meeting, they've also submitted staging ideas. And I'm like, I wonder what ideas they have there. Have they got something new from the national? Because I wouldn't put those national final performances back to back per se. I wonder if there is anything extra coming through. Is there props? Is there new lighting? Just, you know, to make sure each act pops out. There's information we don't know. And trying to define anything from uh, these lists of 15 and then 16 songs. I mean, it's what we do as a community. It's absolutely great fun. But at the end of the day, we don't know enough. And we don't, you know, even the producers themselves will not know enough until they actually see this on the stage and then through the monitors. Everybody's making their best guess at what's going to work in a live environment. And, you know, that's that's one of the frissoms. It's one of the excitements of the song contest is the show isn't put together until... Well, we don't do a full run through until the day before the live show. Yep, there's rehearsals, there's tapes, you can do animatics and you can start running together YouTube videos to get a feel of the show. But the actual fabric, the actual physicality of the song contest is not known until, what, some 30 hours before it goes live for each show. And we've had plenty of great ideas that don't work. And there are plenty of simple performances that do captivate. I think the greatest thing with all of this is to remember that, you know, a saying that I always use when you try and think about, you know, what is successful in terms of Eurovision. And you don't, most people and most jurors as well, they don't purely vote for vocals. They don't purely vote for the best song and the best songwriting. In the Eurovision Song Contest, ultimately, people vote for characters. And if you have a character that captivates you, that brings you in, um, Rise Like a Phoenix may be a great song, but it was how you were captivated by the character that Conchita was that got people to pick up the phone and vote. That's, there is something different about that. That, you know, all of this, this, this is very technical. And this technical conversation ignores that completely. We'll have the other side of that coin, something that we will talk about alongside the technical stuff and more as we get closer and closer towards Liverpool and its hosting of the Eurovision Song Contest in 2023, May 9, May 11, May 13. And we will see all of the things that we have missed that we will spot with hindsight all the times when we'll go, yep, we called that. And at the end of the day, tens, if not hundreds of millions of people around the world watching the show, sharing the music, having a great time, feeling connected at the end of the day whether your song is singing first second third fifth 16th 26th it is just part of that wonderful fabric that we all know and love so no we're not going to go down and discuss every single song and whether they've got a slightly better slightly worse chance down the running order we're just going to go we've got our chapter headings fabulous It's Eurovision Chat Over Coffee Over the Running Order was hosted by you and Spence with Ben Robertson on the other microphone. Find out more at www.esinsight and support us patreon.com 
slash ASC insight.